On this episode of Resi Week, Parasol joins HTSA with remote support. Should or can integrators collaborate or just compete? And BMW's Formation Wireless Audio System. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 168, Compete or Collaborate. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Draper. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by the one and only Jeremy Glowacki. He is the executive editor at Residential Tech Today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me once again. I always enjoy these chats. Thank you so much for being here. And his twin today, that is Jason Griffin. He is the Partner Development Manager at One Vision Resources, as well as the co-host of the Home Tech Podcast, who's had me on one and only uh, only once. I, I, I didn't <laughs> after the first trip. How are you doing, Jason? Well, you gave me enough grief, so we have had you on, and you can not You can no longer hold that over my head, Matt. No, uh, I just I've never gotten an invite back. <laughs> No, I'm doing great. Uh, excited to be back. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for joining us. All right, let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from Residential Tech Today. Parasol partners with HTSA members for 24-7 remote support. I'm assuming, Jeremy, I, I should have asked you this in the pre-show, but I'm assuming that this was announced at the HTSA summit that just happened last week. Uh, but if you don't know Parasol, it is a 24-7 remote support company that is got offices in Las Vegas and Richmond, VA, and they have obviously partnered with HTSA to offer their solutions to HTSA members. Uh, Jeremy, I do want to start with you on this one. When you look at this um, just continuing growing trend uh, of, of companies like Paracel, companies like Jason's who are offering remote support and... It, Initially, I would almost say that it was something that was um, it didn't catch on right away. The, the companies that understood the concept and saw the value in it were right in there. But as a whole, the industry has been a little slow to adopt. This is a big buying group that has a lot of influence who is jumping on this uh, remote support um, bandwagon, if you will. What is it about remote support that groups like HTSA that integrators that are progressive see as such a huge benefit to their business? Well, I think the, the story, one of the stories you covered from our publication last week, um, you know, kind of set it very well. And it's that sort of Uber, Uber influence um, on our industry. Um, and at first when I, when that contributor submitted that, I wasn't quite sure what he was going for, but then it was really about remote support um, it's about access for the end user. It's, you know, we're going to have outages in these systems that are installed, you know, whether it's a power fluctuation, there's something, just a glitch in the network. And to be able to respond quickly to that, um, and if that's possible within an integration company with the existing staff, then so be it. That's great. But a lot of these companies, you know, are small, um, you know, three, five person operations. And, 
you know, if you want to have any life outside of that company and not have your phone buzzing all the time, it, it's great to be able to outsource those initial triage calls to, to a, you know, a support company like One, One Vision and, um, and, and to Parasol. Um, you have the ability in the equipment to do quick troubleshooting, um, whether it's a, you know, power cycle, you know, reboot kind of scenario or whatever it is to access that equipment and do it in an efficient way. Um, these clients don't expect, they, they're not, these are high, high net worth people typically. They don't have the patience to wait 24, 48 hours to get their network back up online. They need someone to solve it for them. Now, they're also not going to be the one that crawls underneath uh, or behind, you know, a rack to pull a, a, a pl plug and, and plug it back in. That's typically not the way they work. Um, so I think that's why these, these are starting to crop up, at, at get more traction as companies. Um, I think that buying groups are now turning, becoming sort of the, the leading um, thought idea generators for this industry. I, I, I think that, um, you know, we've got a still a very good trade association in Cedia, but in a lot of ways, these smaller groups of like-minded people in these buying groups are able to pivot a lot more quickly. And HDSA has been on the leading edge of a lot of things, whether it's lighting fixtures. Um, now they're doing a big thing, a big push with sales uh, um, training, uh, getting back to the nuts and bolts of how to sell. Um, and, and, you know, working in this category is just another example of, of, I think, the way that they're leading with their group right now. Very good. Jason, what you guys do over at One Vision is, is fairly similar to what Paracel does in the, the support channel. What do integrators need to consider when they start looking at the, uh, the benefits and, and some of the potential um, pitfalls of outsourcing uh, remote support? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. Uh, like you alluded to, you know, the company I work with, One Vision and Parasol are at their core out there trying to solve a very similar problem, namely that providing ongoing service and support for a growing base of legacy clients at a high quality level all the time is a very difficult problem. And as a former integrator, I'm intimately familiar with how challenging that can be to, to meet that balance between really taking great care of your clients and also like Jeremy alluded to, making sure that you have something that resembles a life uh, outside of work, right? So, um, you know, we definitely at One Vision believe that um, it is one of the, the biggest, uh, most important challenges facing the integration community today. And I think ultimately integrators now have a couple of different options they can choose from. We're obviously coming at the problem from a, a unique angle and Parasol is coming at it from their unique angle. And, and as any, any business thinks, you know, we, we think our angle is, is, uh, is the way to go. But like, honestly, I think that it's great to have more than one company out there solving this problem. Uh, like I said, it is a big one. And I think that to your question, you know, what should integrators consider um, when they're going after this? It's, it's really, how do we take our entire client base? So it's not just about new clients moving forward, right? It's about all of these legacy clients. And you have to think about this in almost two different buckets. And it's one thing to start a new program and sell it to clients moving forward. But the challenge of making sure all of those hundreds or perhaps even thousands, in some cases of legacy clients that you've done business with, how are you going to educate them about your new way of providing support and get them to play by the same rules as everyone else? So it's a big challenge. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication and hard work. But ultimately, there are solutions out there now like One Vision and like Parasol that you can partner up 
uh, with companies to help you lead, lead you, you know, lead you through that. And, and again, I think it's one of the biggest challenges out there. Um, so it's really important for integrators to be thinking about it. And if, if you are set up in such a way that you feel like you can scale and grow your company, uh, doing it in-house, that's great. But I know a lot of companies out there really could benefit from sort of having a supercharged uh, approach by leveraging with outside uh, partners, just like a lot of companies do for bookkeeping or service design or, you know, system design or any one of those other uh, areas where this is very common. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro and the one and only Julie Jacobson. Uh, I got to say, when I, when I saw the title of this, I was confused. It, it took me a second to really latch on to what she was saying, which does not happen very often. Um, but I was really impressed. On this opinion piece, uh, JJ Posters, um, what if local integrators collaborate instead of just compete? And she, she goes on to use the example of car rental companies, uh, specifically at airports, where they will share staff, parking lots, rental facilities, signage, and often personnel to you know facilitate renting cars to travelers. But Julie uh, offers the, the proposition of what if local integrators did that and uses a couple of examples um, of her time in Minnesota where a couple of industry folks got together and would talk openly about uh, industry things, but also business things down to those you know, nitty gritty business secrets that you know, you share with your friends, but most often you'd never think to share those with your competitors. Jason, I want to come back to you uh, being the former integrator in this case. And I have, I have lots of questions about this and the functionality of this. Um, but I really wanted to narrow it down to, to two sides, one which I'll ask you and one with, which I'll ask Jeremy. Um, do dealers, do integrators, do they want to collaborate? Is that even on their radar. Mm. Yeah, obviously we're, you know, painting with broad strokes here and there's a million shades of, of, of gray to that question. I, I think generally speaking, I, I was with you, Matt. I had a similar experience when I read Julie's piece and, and it took me a while to kind of get it. And at first I have to say as a, you mentioned a former integrator, but not just a former integrator, a former VIA integrator, right? So I've I seen, wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> uh, so I've seen the very far end of, of this and we all, you know, we all know how that ended. Uh, that's obviously an extreme example, but it is, it is an example nonetheless. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, I've also been a part of companies that actually have done this. Um, smaller companies where we had some friendly competitors in the market and we had some technicians that maybe we couldn't keep busy for a couple of weeks and they'd go over and help one of our competitors and then they'd share back when we needed extra bandwidth. And if you have the right companies in your market that are friendly being the key word, then certainly like these sort of things sort of dip your toe in the water and start to build that relationship and experiment. And um, I think some of these things are, are a great idea. So it really just becomes a question of like, how far does it go? And I think as soon as you start to get into, uh, you know, some things are obvious, like sales is, is clearly going to be a very guarded thing within companies, maybe not sales techniques generally, but actual opportunities and things of that nature or operations, you know, there are different areas of sensitivity, but when it comes down to sharing things like perhaps labor resources and then getting together and forming more community and sharing perhaps best practices about how you're approaching the architects in your market or the builders in your market or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity here. 
for integrators to do more from, from what I've seen uh, to, to collaborate more. Again, it's just a question of how far, uh, how far you take it. Very good. Jeremy, on, on the flip side of this, uh, I, I asked Jason why, uh, or sorry, I asked him, you know, if, if dealers want to. And I, I want to ask you, why would integrators want to collaborate? What is the, what is the intrinsic benefit there uh, that should, in theory, outweigh the negative of, to, to kind of use Jason's terms, be really friendly with arguably a competitor? Yeah, I'll I'll echo what both of you had said about the way I read this. I was really um, kind of going, no, this isn't. This is weird. This is weird. And then it got to a point where I'm like, yeah, okay. But the the reason why it got to that point, frankly, was the was where I think she got the nugget of the idea for the story originally, which is Chris Smith from Cloud Cloud Nine in New York, and he's one of these guys. that's just um, He's just a really smart guy in the industry and ha- has ideas that um, maybe think outside the box a bit. And so he had written a blog post for um, a, a site that had, um, you know, for interior designer resources and that sort of thing about how, how they collaborate. And he had this meeting um, with some something like he cold called and also called, you know, competitors that he knew um, in his market. And they he met with them individually, not as a big collective like um, Julie was talking about, but um, basically got sort of their buy-in that we will look for each other, you know, look for opportunities. And I think one of the examples he, he cited was commercial versus resi work. And so, you know, you may have um, a, a fully, a mostly residential contractor integrator who just doesn't have the skill set or the bandwidth to do the commercial job that, their CEO client asked them to do. I mean, I'm thinking in his market where you're in Manhattan, you might get in seriously over your head if you're dealing with, you know, a major um, commercial building, say high rise situation. There's a lot more legwork that goes into those projects probably than your typical uh, medium sized city. And they may just say that that's just not in our wheelhouse and we're, we're not going to be able to, 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 to get in and out of those projects. So, um, you know, he's, he's been able to leverage those relationships into some, some commercial work because they're very strong in that area um, from a traditionally residential um, integrator. Uh, another example that I've heard is when, you know, you might be more of a, um, you know, let's say you're a control four dealer, but you want to, you, you have a client that really wants a cross-drawn, you know, system or uh, maybe it's even, um, you know, RTI to control four, something like that, where there's something very specific in the use case where it, maybe it's a price point or, or um, feature set. And you know that your, you know, colleague in the, in the market, you guys don't sell the exact same thing, but you could refer them over to them. Maybe it's just staffing from, you know, we're, we're backed up for six months on projects. And I know this guy has some openings and it's, better for the whole industry for sure. Um, I, I just think that it's good to not say no um, in certain situations to be able to say yes without putting yourself at, at a disadvantage by, you know, getting in over your head with something. Very good. Um, the, the, the one little side uh, aside that I'd add to this is uh, this is one of those things that I, Again, it caught me off guard when I first saw it, but when I actually started reading through it and thinking it through, 
this is something that I would argue we need within the industry uh, a, a lot more than we probably think we do. Having that collaboration, having that um, you know ability to raise the, the the tide of our industry and help promote best practices and all those other things is is can do nothing but great things for our companies and uh, the the industry in general. All right, gentlemen, let's uh, move on to our next story of the day. Uh, this comes to us from CNET. It was kind of a late edition. Bowers and Wink, Wilkins, uh, B&W, channels Sonos with their high-end formation wireless system. Uh, if you haven't followed this, B&W has been, you know, really not jumping into this whole uh, wireless whole home audio platform. It hasn't been something that they've gone after. And today they announced this new formation system. They have some, to, to, to use the, uh, the writer's words, bizarre and beautiful shapes to their formation speakers. Uh, and again, this is a, a range of prices from essentially 4,000 US down to $1,000, give or take, on a couple of their systems. This is a mesh network that was built off the EVA automation platform that uh, bought B&W in 2016. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to come back and, and start with you on this one. This is something that I can't say I'm surprised by. Uh, I will say that I'm a little shocked it took so long for them to get into this market. Um, but I'm still a little, I'm a little confused. And, you know, we were kind of joking at, at the, the top of the, uh, the pre-show with that first line. Because the first line of the article is deep pocket audiophiles rejoice. B&W claims its new high-end formation wireless system is the new standard in whole home audio. Deep pockets. It's BMW. It's not going to be cheap. This is not going to be something that you're going to uh, likely find at your local Radio Shack or Best Buy or anything like that. When you look at this system, when you look at this platform, is this the arguably the perfect example of a customer who wants to buy into this system, into this platform because of that BMW name? Um, well, first of all, I've, I've been hearing about their wireless uh, initiatives for about two years. I've been to B&W's North American headquarters multiple times, not to brag. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and they've been hinting that this um, EVA, or, uh, yeah, EVA automation technology is going to be you know, incorporated at some point, and it finally just came to fruition. I don't know why it took so long, but it's been a traditional company with wired loudspeakers for a long time. I guess it's just a, it's a process, right? Um, I don't know if auto, audiophiles are going to ever rejoice about a wireless audio solution. I, I, I kind of think that might be, uh, you know, it's a cute lead, but it's not really the, the reality of the way these guys think. B&W is... Um, at least in the Joe Atkinson era, was an exalted brand. Um, it's guys who wire up massively ridiculous, you know, speaker cable wires together to make these things sound what they think better than anything else. Um, you really pay for high design. I mean, these are these look like no other speakers. Generally speaking, in the you know balance of Wilkins heritage, it's been a, a style product as much as a audio product 
And that's what you're getting here. You're paying a lot for high design. And um, I'm not sure that wireless speakers are bought for their design so much as their functionality, their simplicity, their you know ease of use. Just um, we're looking at solving a problem here more than you know a luxury goods that we're used to with audio. And I think they have to have a wireless option, but I don't know at this price point if they're going to get your general consumer to say, yeah, I want the more expensive wireless solution and their current deal their current fan base your customer base probably wants to stick with the traditional thing but who knows maybe there's a situation where they can't wire up the speakers and they want to have a wireless thing and they're all in on bmw so mm -hmm. um i none of us have all the answers but i do think it's a it's a gamble making a price point like that very good jason when you look at this the thing that kind of caught my eye was not so much the design, not so much the uh, price point or anything like that. Um, most, uh, at least speaking from my experience as an integrator, most customers who want BMW will have no problem paying for it. Uh, and most people who want that design aesthetic of BMW, again, will have no problem paying for it. Is this though a situation where the speaker design, the speaker tech, is only as good as the accompanying app that comes with it. Because let's be fair, the probably biggest uh, asset that Sonos has is the fact that their app has been widely uh, over and above every other competitor on the market. Mm -hmm. the speaker tech, that's debatable. We, we can have that conversation for days. But their app is fantastic. And most people love their app. Is this something that will live and die by the quality of their app opposed to the quality of the speaker? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting question because when I, when I do look at the, the product, I, I think instantly back to my recent history as, a, as an integrator in the high-end market of, of Los Angeles. And I can certainly see some homes where these speakers would fit in aesthetically, but then, and, and performance-wise, certainly BMW is, is, a, is a good performing speaker. I don't, I don't, not, nobody's going to argue that. But ultimately, the question as integrators are always grappling with is, well, how nicely does it play with everything else that I've got in the system? And so presumably these, these sorts of the, the clients who are going to be buying these sorts of speakers are also going to be buying a whole bunch of other technology in their homes. And if these speakers are, are, are isolated to their own app and that app is not stellar, maybe it's good, maybe it's, it's okay, maybe it's terrible but it's not like the best possible user experience, then yeah, be ab absolutely like at the end of the day, the clients have to be able to quickly and easily access the music they want to play. And it sounds obvious, but it, it's true. It's, it's a challenge because these clients have comfort levels with technology that are all over the spectrum. So I do think that the control layer is, is a big question mark. And I see in the article here that, you know, they're going to have their own formation app. It does say it's compatible with AirPlay 2 and then Rune, which is, I know, I know another popular sort of streaming solution in, in the high, high fidelity end of the market. Uh, what's not totally clear to me is how this will play, if at all, with other control systems. And so that'll be a big uh, question mark, I think, in, in the systems that this gets integrated in. And ultimately, BMW is going to have some pull just by the brand recognition and the name. Uh, they're going to be able to sell some of these products uh, for sure. But in order for the, the integration company at large, the integration workforce at large to get behind these products, 
they've got to play play nicely at least to a certain extent with other products and so to me that's probably the biggest question mark and then just overall adoption at those price points as you guys alluded to uh will be interesting to see no idea how bmw forecasts in terms of volume they're obviously aiming for a lower volume higher price point than say somebody like google who's selling you know 35 dollars google homes uh mm -hmm. so clearly it's a whole different ball game uh, but it'll be interesting to see how this is how this is adopted and i think there will definitely be a small niche for it will they be able to make that small niche bigger uh, only time will tell very good. Is this something, and either one of you can answer this, is this something where we should be concerned that it took BMW two years to get an AirPlay 2 product to market? Because Jeremy, you mentioned you've been, you've been hearing about this, something about this product line for quite a while. What's the delay in why it takes so long for some of these companies to get something to market? I can only think that it's, you know, talking about a Silicon Valley type company combined with, um, you know, a traditional audio British, you know, UK based audio company. It's just two different cultures and it probably took some time to, to blend those two together. They've had some, some engineering turnover there at Bowers and, uh, you know, some guys have, have been there for a while, but, uh, there's, there's been probably a, a, a cultural shift there that's had to take place and just it's uh it's not something that could just flip a switch very good all right gentlemen let's wrap it there thank you so much for joining us uh jeremy if people want to connect with you learn more about residential tech today where can they do that um restechtoday.com is our website and i'd love for people to go there and subscribe to the magazine we have a beautiful print uh, edition that just came out with Penn Gillette on the cover, Magician. It's not your typical industry trade. We've got a consumer feel, newsstand feel, and uh, a lot of good insight on the, on the tech stuff too inside. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Jason, my friend, thanks again for joining us. If people want to connect with you, uh, catch a episode of the Home Tech Podcast or arguably, potentially, more importantly, stop by One Vision Resources. Where can they do that? Yeah, thanks, Matt. And again, appreciate you having me back on uh, onevisionresources.com. Uh, onevisionresources.com, that's the place to go check out uh, what we're doing there. And then if you want to come check out my podcast, we'd love to have you. Hometech.fm is the place to go for that. So thanks again, Matt. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for being here. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 